Well, I was groomed since as early as I can remember to um, perform sexual acts for mostly men, but sometimes women. And it happened for 20 years. I, I didn't really get out of that life until I was after I was married and had my first son. My first memory of being specifically trafficked was four and it was involved a hotel room and my mom drove me there and I went and knocked on the door. She told me which door to knock on and I knew exactly what to do. And she didn't tell me even on the car ride really what to do. I just knew what was expected of me and what to do. Um, came out and handed my mom an envelope that I'm sure had money in it and she closed it up in her magazine and we drove home and that was, that started my normal as far as I can remember. And as long as I was a part of that family, that was my normal. Before we get started today, I would be remiss if I did not thank our partners over at Proper Creative. Proper Creative is a production on demand company and they monetize e-commerce platforms. They have a marketing powerhouse team from graphic designers, web development, photographers, videographers, market analysis, digital marketing strategists, and of course, social media experts. They help companies from development of content and products to the execution of digital strategies for e-commerce. They provide both full service and a la carte services for businesses that sell direct to the consumers. For me today, I am wearing a proper creative branded shirt. This is the Level Up Podcast shirt. You can get it. And uh, this is something that we send to all of our guests that come on our show. Our partners send them a gift package, and it's brought to you by Proper Creative. Thank you so much. You can follow them on social media, Instagram primarily, at P-R-O-P-R Creative. Again, they're an L.A.-based company, so they do things a little bit cooler than most. They spell proper, P-R-O-P-R Creative. Follow them on social media, Instagram, and give a shout-out. Thank you so much, again, to our brand partners, Proper Creative. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am Matt Rogers. So excited that you decided to join us again today. Uh, fastest growing podcast in 2021. My man Eli, my right hand man, is yes, next to me. Sir. How are you? Good. Super exciting. You do an amazing job. Oh, thanks, man. It's an honor to work with you, man. You're doing to keep a good up job. With you, you know. You know, God's really blessed us with uh, good people and good things and good guests. Yep. And um, this. I really feel like today's guest is not only a pinnacle for this show, but a game changer, a shifter, uh, a shifter for the podcast and a shifter for people. Um, we are going to talk about some um, very deep things. I will advise parents right now, if you uh, have kids listening, this is an adult conversation. Um, we will be hearing from firsthand from a woman that I do not know personally, but I admire more and have an honor for pretty much anybody I've ever met. And God's blessed me with some cool platforms, you know, in television, Hollywood, meeting some cool people. I've never met anybody like this and I've never heard a story like this and I've never had a conversation like this. Um, Elizabeth Frazier is one of the most deepest speakers that I've heard. I heard her recently on my buddy Ed Milet's podcast. And when I heard her talk about her story, it changed a lot of things. Um, her story of being sex trafficked at the age of four by her parents is where we're going to start. But the way she ended up, when you see her today, it is a miracle in every sense of the word. Like, if, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in forgiveness and the good heart of human beings now, I'm going to guarantee you you will in the next 45 to 55 minutes because I've never met anybody like this in my life. So with that intro, it is my honor to welcome the one and only Elizabeth Frazier. Welcome to the show. Gosh, Matt, that is, thank you. That is a lot to absorb. Thank you for that honor. That's just so kind of you. I, I, I pray before every show, God, let me honor the people you bring across my path. 
Um, we've met some really cool people, whatever, from Grammy winners, celebrities, you know, Olympic gold medalists, all that stuff. I never get nervous. I'm nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. I am just a regular person, so we're I, good. I know we're you're good. a regular person, but <laughs> I'm nervous because of obviously the topic that we're talking about. But I just honestly, I just want to honor I, I want to honor you. I'm so flattered that you decided to come on level up. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's people that want you to talk left and right about this. So the fact that you would come on this show, honestly, it it means a lot. And I want you to be proud of, you know, what we're doing here and, and what you're talking about. And thank you for coming on. This yeah, is unbelievable. So um like we said, big intro. Let's let's get into it. Can we can you first of all tell people who you are, where you're from, and just to get to know you first? Sure. I am in my mid-30s. I grew up in Utah in a beautiful neighborhood, very wealthy area. Um, I come from a very large family, like a lot of Utah families, and I've got there's nine kids in my family. Um, I'm the youngest of nine and I have seven brothers. So it was quite chaotic at my home, even in a regular sense. Um, grew up religious and just never would have looked at me and been able to see the horror and the awfulness that I was living through on a day-to-day basis because I looked very normal. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but you say, you know, Utah, big family, religious. Were you, were you brought up Mormon? I was brought up Mormon. Okay. I was brought up Mormon. Yep. Okay. And then out of respect for your family members, because we are going to get deep and personal in your family, we're not going to mention any names. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to say mom, dad, brothers, and, and so you have one sister, right? Right. Okay. So brought up from the outside looking in, you said people would never know the horror. What does that mean? What was the horror? Well, I was groomed since as early as I can remember to... Um, perform sexual acts for mostly men, but sometimes women. And it happened for 20 years. I, I didn't really get out of that life until I was after I was married and had my first son. And so growing up in that life, I didn't even realize how awful it was because I thought I was special and I thought I was trained for a purpose. And, um, I did feel special for a long time, but as I started to experience more life on my own and started to have conversations with, with friends or with parents or teachers or things, I started realizing that my life wasn't as beautiful as I thought it was for so many years. The reason I, I wanted to talk about this is I live in Middle Tennessee, Williamson County. I think it's the, you know, not that my wife and I are wealthy because we're not, but we live in the, I think the ninth wealthiest county in America, uh, outside looking in. Everything looks perfect. I found out after I moved here that 10 miles from my house is one of the top sex trafficking hubs in America. I didn't know that really existed in America. I wouldn't, you know, watch movies and stuff. I grew up, but I thought that was overseas. And it wasn't until like the last, you know, really four or five years where people started talking about sex trafficking, especially in America. So to hear you say that, I mean, five years ago, we would have never thought that, but now it's, it's so out. So what was that like? How, I mean, can you take us back to the beginning? Like you said, you were groomed for it. What does that mean? How old were you? My first memory of being specifically trafficked was four and it was involved a hotel room and my mom drove me there and I went and knocked on the door. She told me which door to knock on and I knew exactly what to do and she didn't tell me even on the car ride really what to do. I just knew what was expected of me and what to do. So I, I just am sure that I was groomed previously before that, or I wouldn't have known, you know, no child comes up with that on their own and knows and does things in a sexual manner like that, unless they have, have trauma or have been trained or have, you know, a specific purpose by the people raising them. So for me, I, I just knew what to do at four years old and I went in and did it and it didn't scare me. Um, came out and handed my mom an envelope that I'm sure had money in it. And she closed it up in her magazine and we drove home. And that was, that started my normal 
as far as I can remember. And as long as I was a part of that family, that was my normal. Do you, re, do you remember like talking to your mom on the way home no. after that? Mm-mm. It was a quiet car ride. She didn't ask me any questions. I didn't really tell her anything. We just drove home. I think we probably listened to music and just made it very normal. Was she kind to you? Was there abuse in the house? Um, she was, she was mostly kind, but there was abuse in the house. I, especially if I didn't perform well, or if I started resisting going or complaining about going or things like that, then, then there was, um, more abuse in the home. But, but overall I got treated pretty well as long as I was keeping up with, with their demand of what they expected of me. I had a car. My parents bought me a car. I, you know, had a lot of freedoms. So I'm just going to be honest with you. This is, this is why I was nervous because I have all these emotions inside of me right now. Then, and I want to, I want to ask you a ton of questions and I just, I want to be appropriate. But when you're that age at four, how, how often did that happen? Was it a weekly thing? Was it a monthly thing? Was it like, Hey, this is what we do every Tuesday and Thursday. And like, what, what does that look like? It really depended on the time of year. When school started, it wasn't as often. Um, but in the summertime, it was more often. It was definitely every weekend. And as I got older, sometimes it was more of a revolving door where I was just in one spot and there were multiple people that would come to my room or things like that. So it really just depended on what was going on in my life on a regular outside perspective. It just, I mean, it breaks my heart. Does, I mean, does it bother you if I cry or get emotional? Cause I have a five-year-old daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It, it hits close to home and I've got, I've got a daughter as well. And it's, it's hard to look at your children and imagine ever being able to put them through anything like that. I don't understand it. I don't have answers as far as the whys because I could never do that to my children. Right. Um, so, I mean, every weekend and you, and you, I mean, you even said into when you're driving. So from, from four years old to 16 years old, we're talking about 12 years, 52 weekends in a, in a year. 52 times 12. I mean, we're talking about into the thousands of times that you Mm -hmm. did this. Mm -hmm. Did you ever, ever get scared, ever feel threatened or was it normal? Cause you said you were groomed to feel special. What does that mean? What does that look like? Who told you that that was special? Cause obviously you as a person, as a destiny, as a God given child, of course you are special but to Mm -hmm. pervert and manipulate that being special, who put that in the minds of your family and you? My parents did. Um, I remember them sitting me down and saying, you know, your friends aren't as special as you. So you can't tell them that you're doing this because if you do, they'll feel bad that they're not as special as you and then they won't want to be your friend. And so I wanted friends. I wanted people to like me. And so I did. I kept it a secret for a long time. But as far as being fearful, most of the time I was not fearful. But there were definitely times that I feel like the people I was meeting got too rough or got out of hand. And I, there were times I was definitely scared, scared for my life, honestly. Um, but usually at that point, when I was at least when I was older, I honestly didn't care if I died. There were times that I almost wished it, that I was like, I want out. And if this is going to be the end, maybe, maybe my parents are going to get caught and they'll go down, you know, if I end up dying, I don't know. But most of the time I just felt special until I was in high school when I really started realizing that I was just manipulated. And I was, I was special, like you said, but I wasn't special in the way that they had, told me and taught me and basically brainwashed me to believe. I just can't believe sitting here talking to you that it went on that long and nobody got in trouble and nobody got caught. At what, at what point was it that you said, 
okay, this isn't right. Something's not right with my parents, with what I'm doing, with the people that I'm with. When did that register? It started registering in high school. It took me a long time, unfortunately, to even realize that it was as, as even dangerous as it was. Um, but it honestly wasn't until college that I really started taking a stand for myself. In high school, I had a friend pass away in a car accident. And that was kind of the beginning where I realized I didn't know how to cope with anything. And I started doing a lot of self-harm. I was cutting my arms and my legs and I would smash my face with whatever I could. And my parents could sense they were starting to lose control um, of me. And so that's when they started putting me in therapy with somebody that they kind of had up their sleeve. And I, I think this is a bigger thing than even I realized that they have so many people in their back pocket that they could protect their secret for so long. Um, so I think between me starting to unravel and them putting me in therapy and them kind of coming out to people saying, yeah, she's really struggling. If you hear anything, please tell us so that we can help her, you know? And so I had to be very careful who I shared anything with because it would always get back to my parents. Cause if a, a youth is struggling, you often go to the parents and say, Hey, I'm worried about your child for X, Y, and Z, you know? So if that happened, I was in a lot scarier place. Um, so I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to find out or question or anything. So I had, I had to really start hiding how I coped, um, with, with drinking and with some drugs and things like that. But I just didn't want to get caught because I knew my life would be worse if it if it did. Worse, why? Because they would they would they by your parents would they you know hit you? Would they abuse you? Would they punish you? Yeah, they wouldn't. I mean, they wouldn't let me leave the house, and I would get more and more jobs because obviously I could handle more if I was if I was able to go out and you know be be talking and things, and I was able to handle more than they were giving me. So I didn't want to be a prisoner in my own home. You know, I didn't want, I wanted the little bit of freedom that I had to be able to go out for a drive or go do things. And, and that was taken away quickly. If I was saying anything, even that I was depressed or even that I was sad or anything that might alert somebody to look at my parents, I was in big, big trouble with them. So I had to be very careful. I've heard you speak a couple of times. I haven't heard anybody ask this, um, and forgive me if I'm out of line, just tell me you don't want to answer it, but did you ever have to worry about pregnancy or anything like that? Or did you deal with that? No, I did. Um, my parents had some morning after pills that I remember taking, um, you know, a decent amount, always condoms were involved and, and, you know, it, it, it was always something I was scared of once I realized what, right. how you become pregnant, you know? Um, but my parents were pretty careful with things like that. So when you look back to when, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, your neighbors, the girls you would hang out with in your neighborhood, were they in on it too? Like, did your parents specifically say, okay, well, you could only play at the third house on the left, but don't talk to the second house on the left. Or did no one know? No, no one knew. Um, there were times that I would be at specific I don't even know what to call them. So an event, I don't know Mm -hmm. where there would be multiple girls and I never recognized multiple girls that were doing the same thing or multiple girls, just normal girls. Yes. Doing the same thing that I was and men would come kind of pick us up, pick us out. And I didn't recognize any of them from my friend group or school or anything, but I did start to recognize them from, from that. But as far as friends go, my parents were very, open with letting me be friends with whoever I wanted to um, because I think they were very, they believed very strongly that they had a handle on me and they did for a long time where I wasn't going to talk to anybody. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings when I was really little. And then I didn't want to hurt, get hurt myself by, by saying things, you know, so they did have a very good handle on me as a child. You're the baby of nine, seven brothers, one sister. Mm-hmm. Did you talk about it with your siblings at all? Mm-mm. No, I had my, 
we're very divided as, as siblings and half of them um, say that the rest of us are crazy and that we're all mentally ill, you know, and then there's half of us that stand together and say, yes, this happened. And these were my experiences in her, in, in my Elizabeth, in my story. So it's very divided in, in who is standing up against this and who is not. Um, but we never talked about it, even with my parents, it wasn't ever really talked about unless there was an issue. And then it was talked about. Did everyone have this experience or was it just the two girls or was it just you? Um, my sister wasn't even trafficked. She, she has her own story and I don't want to share her story, but she does have her own story. I did have a brother that was in charge of going with me places and would, would wait for me and he'd handle the money as I got a little older and make sure I was at appointments. And he was told that he was protecting me, that you need to go because we need to make sure that she's safe. He didn't even really register what was going on in those doors um, before. So, I mean, each one of my siblings has their own story of how they know that this is true and this is real. Um, but I'm very careful not to share their story because a lot of them aren't ready to be super public about it because it's scary for them. My parents are pretty dangerous people and it's scary for me to do things like this, but I have learned that I feel safer when I do it because if anything were to happen to me or my children, there's enough people that are aware that they would know where to look, where to start. But a lot of my siblings are still pretty scared um, to be more open about it. Do you ever worry about your family and you coming out talking the way that you're talking that they can come after you or they can hurt you? Yeah. Every day I'm scared of that every single day. Do they know like where you're at and all that stuff? Do they know you're talking or no? I'm sure that they do. Um, I've had enough people from my past reach out on social media and things. Um, we've had, We've had some some little threats um, to us and to people, to bigger organizations that I've I've worked with. So I know they're aware, but that's the thing I've learned is that I think they're scared and they should be because they've done these horrific, awful things and they can't stop me from talking anymore. And they want to and they're trying, but the biggest thing for them is that I just stopped talking. And I can't do that anymore. If there's somebody out there that hears my story and be, can be more safe and come forward with what their abuse is or things like that, then I can't just sit back and be quiet anymore. I just can't do it. That's the one thing I was wondering when I first heard you speak, like, okay, well, where are, the, where are her parents now? What are they doing? Because the first thing you think like, oh, well, this is going to end up with the parents getting in trouble, going to jail and all that. But that's not the truth. Parents are still living their normal life. Are there grandkids involved that can potentially be going through the same thing you are? Like, are, do you think your parents are still actively running this business or do you think it's a thing of the past and they're not doing it anymore? You know, I, I don't know that for sure. Um, I do know that since I've been so open about it, they have had to be either stopping or a lot more careful about what they're doing. I have written letters to every single one of my siblings and anybody that, may be able to give them access to children that I can think of to warn them. I did that years ago. Um, I think that they, you know, it's never, I could never say they're not doing it for sure. I don't, I don't know. I hope that that's the case, but I feel like most, well, I know most of the time when somebody is, is assaulted or abused or anything, most of the time their perpetrators don't get put into jail. And that's another reason why I feel like I need to speak out because there's so many people that aren't speaking because what can they do? It's, they're not going to go to jail. They've, the justice system is flawed. It's hard to get people in jail, even if you have what you think is a very solid case. So I think it's important for people to know you can still heal and get through and have a beautiful life if you, you know, never see the justice that you deserve. Yet. Because yes. you're only in your yes. mid-30s. Yes. 
Yes. Yet. Yes, that's right. That's so right. out of curiosity, and and I'll stop on this, but I'm, I am curious. I want to ask you, how come you can't just go to the police and say, here's who I am. Here's who my parents are. Here's where they live. Here's what they're doing. This is where I went. These are the people I was with. And this is who was in on it. Go get them. Why can't we do that? Part of it's a danger thing. Um, danger for me, danger for others that they might be hurting. Another part is having... I know you need to have specific proof of things to have happen. And I have learned the steps that you need to take in order for that to happen. And I'm very hopeful that, you know, down the road, that is something that may happen, may or may not happen. Um, But I think they have so many people in their pocket that I have actually talked to police. um, And they're, they're just able to cover up things so well. And they have so much money that I don't, and I don't have so much money. They could hire the best attorney in the world, partly because of all the money I got for them. And I wouldn't have the funds to be able to get a good attorney and really fight this. And so I can't. Do you want to, like if someone's out there that has money that wants to partner with you and, and, and do this with you, do you want to do that? Or cause there, I mean, people need to understand this. This is real and this happened to you. There's one part, like you said, you want justice, especially in today's society. I mean, everyone, it's all we talk about. We need justice for this and just for that. So you want justice. But then there's another part, which I'm sure we'll get to, to where you need to let go of the past to free yourself from it so you can move on with your life. And you don't want to keep, you don't want to live your whole life angry and just, you know, your whole existence and identity comes down to bringing justice over there because you'll live you know, unfruitful, right? So are you caught in that dilemma or like, where are you at? You know, I, if you had asked me a year ago, I would say, I don't want to go after them. I am at peace. I am living a great life. My kids are happy. I am happy, you know, but I can never say never. I have learned that, that I, if an opportunity arose, I would really look at it and take it seriously and think about it and want to do the right thing, not only for me, but for anybody else out there that has been through hell and back, especially at the hands of my, my parents. Um, so I would never say never. I am at peace as of now. I feel like justice can come in so many different forms. And I feel like for me right now, I've done everything I can to alert people of the kind of people they are. Um, but I could never say never, you know, if that, if that came, I don't know how I'd feel about it. The, I was talking about this with, with one of my friends the other night and I was, you know, talking about you coming on the show and, you know, like I said, I was nervous. Like, well, you know, what do I ask her? What do I say? I want to say the right things. I want to ask the right things. Um, we talked about that movie in that book called the shack. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. And I actually was just talking about that with a friend last week. So that's kind of crazy. Well, it's so the crazy thing was that I wanted to like ask you is there's a part at the shack where, so long story short, the, um, the main character's daughter, young, let's just say five years old gets kidnapped. Um, and she gets raped and she gets murdered and it's really, really bad. It's all the bad stuff. But then there's a part where, so the dad's trying to move forward and he has this spiritual experience and he meets God and he meets the Holy Spirit and he meets Jesus. There's a part where God shows him the guy that kidnapped his daughter and did all those bad things. He shows the guy's past and the way that the perpetrator was brought up. And then you feel bad for the perpetrator. You feel bad for the bad guy. And I didn't like that feeling because I wanted to hate the bad guy. And then like, I think about, you know, your parents, you know, you want to hate them. You want to be angry with them, but you don't just wake up and get that idea. Something happened to your parents for them to even consider, like it's pure evil in every sense of the word, but something must have happened to them to lead them to that point. Do you know anything about that, their history, where they came from, why they ended up that way? I don't, I know very little because I wasn't ever... I never felt like I could ask. Um, but I do know that my, my mom's dad passed away when she was newly married. And I do know that her mom was, was not mentally available, um, and had a hard growing up feeling very alone and feeling very abandoned. And 
it is, it is hard to look at that and think, you know, because at the same time in my mind, I think, well, I went through that and my kids were enough for me to say, absolutely. Well, I never, I am protecting them with my life. I will never, you know, continue this pattern, but you are right. You have to be able to look at that and, and as much as you don't want to understand where it started. Cause I think that's how we can also get it to stop is understanding more and being able to see the perspective of everybody that was involved with maybe. I think that's why you are one of the greatest miracles that I've seen with my eyes, because not only have you survived what you've been through, and we are going to talk about the teen years a little bit more if that's okay with you, but the fact that you have moved, like you have every excuse in the world to not be who you are and where you're at and be a good mom and be a good wife and have a, you know, a successful parent and marriage. And you are, and that's just such a miracle and a breath of fresh air, which I think brings hope to more people than you and I will probably ever realize that hear your story. And the fact that whatever your parents went through to get to where they were, I mean, you beat them, you beat the odds in every sense of the word. And I do believe that justice will come to them in this lifetime. I do believe that at the end of the day, they're not happy. They are miserable, which is why they're doing what they're doing. But, and I'm sure you have your battles, which we can get into it, but you're not like you're winning every day that you wake up, you won, you beat them, you overcame. Do you feel that way? Or do you have to talk yourself into that? Like, how are you today for real? Um, I honestly struggle still a lot. I have, I have nightmares almost every single night. I probably get three or four hours of sleep on a good night. I don't sleep well because I have these constant nightmares. Um, and I do get triggered and I have done a lot of work to have a beautiful life, but it's still really hard. So I don't want anybody listening or seeing this to think, oh, she has this perfect life now or she doesn't struggle. I don't think anyone would, I don't think anyone would believe that anyway. I don't think anyone yeah. would believe that. I hope well, not, ahead. but but you are right. I do have to remind myself that how far I have come and I am not a perfect mom, but I do my best and my kids are safe from, from me and my husband ever doing anything, you know, remotely close to that. And so I do, that's my biggest win is knowing that my kids are safe and them seeing me struggle, I think is good because then it gives them room to know they can struggle and they can come out on top. But I'm telling you, like you said, we're going to get into teenage years. I, I did attempt suicide. You know, I was done. And that was, that was when I had two kids, you know, after I had left my family. And I still just couldn't handle the demons that were right in my face every single day. But I have been so blessed to have met the husband that I have. Like that is what saved me. That is what saved me. Why did your husband save you? First of all, let's talk about him. He sounds like the knight in shining armor, the way you're describing him. How did you meet him and how did he save you? Well, we met in school, in college, and my parents didn't know him. So I felt like he was safe. Um, and he was like the first person I really dated seriously that my parents didn't know. And Did they know you were dating him? When, I, when we started dating, yeah, my parents didn't know him because he was from Colorado and they had never met him. And I felt like they couldn't manipulate him like they had, had tried to with, with others I had dated. And he, he showed me patience and love in a way that I didn't even realize existed and continues to do that. When did you tell him what you did? And we're still currently doing at the time, right? Yeah. Um, wow. So he knew that I had abuse in my past and he knew that I had struggles with, with self-harm and um, mostly just sexual abuse for years. He knew that. But it wasn't until after we were married and we had a son that I came fully clean with everything that had happened. And it was the scariest few minutes of my life. I remember... Um, telling him I had to talk to him about something. And, and then I sat there and cried for a long time and couldn't get the words out. And he just sat there looking at me with fear and anger, just that he saw not angry at me, but anger in 
seeing me hurt um, and trying to understand why. And he started asking me some questions and they were, he probably asked just a couple questions. He said, is the abuse still happening? And I was just crying and I just nodded my head and, oh my and we sat another couple minutes. And then he said, is it your family? And I nodded. I don't know if I could have said the words on my own, but obviously he could sense enough and noticed enough that he was able to put the dots together for me. And I thought he was going to leave. I wouldn't have blamed him if he had. And he just stuck with me and, and we moved out of state and just really started to heal. Was that the moment that you said, I'm done? Like I'm walking away. Did he, so when you say he saved you, he, he saved you by helping you walk away and get out of the, I mean, God, this is a terrible term, but the family business. Yeah, right? that is what it, what it was. And it felt like I had a safe place to land for the first time in my life. I didn't ever feel like I had a safe place to live until I was married to him. And we were, we were moving away for his school. He got into medical school at UCLA and we were moving away. And I felt like we were far enough away. I could be open with him and I felt like he could help me be safe instead of me fearing for the threats of his life. Like that's cause that's why I continued it after I was married. I had been told, Hey, you know, something's going to happen to your husband. Something's going to happen to your child and it's going to be your fault. And so I just, at that point I realized that I didn't need to protect him anymore and that he could help protect me. So walk me through that. You have a wedding. Is it a courthouse wedding, which is you and him, or is it the wedding and we catch the bouquet and the families are there? It's, it's a that big wedding. Yep. There's a big wedding. We, we dated. So we met in March and we were married in July. So we were only, we met from married about four and a half months. It was really fast. And parents, brother, sister went to the wedding. Yeah, everybody. It was a big wedding. Did mom and dad make you feel like, or no, like this isn't going to screw up anything we got going on. Like we still have this and this is what it is. So, you know, enjoy your little wedding, but this is your main priority. I didn't, I was hopeful that it was going to end when I got married. I really was until closer to the wedding. I realized that they were just going to use him as a reason as a fear tactic, but they also tried to get us to not get married. And I think it was partly because they didn't know him and they didn't know if, if I could, you know, he'd be able to be manipulated like my previous boyfriends or anything, but they tried to get me to postpone and postpone. And I was going to, and I talked to, to my husband, my then fiance and, and told him that. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense why we should wait. If we know we should get married, why should we wait? And so I was like, okay, you're right. Let's just, let's do it. And so we did. And I think if they had gotten me to put it off, I could have easily been talked out of marrying him. So when you say uh, past boyfriends who got manipulated, are these, you know, guys that didn't know your family that you met out doing whatever, you know, whether it's going to, you know, a friend's party or school or whatever, and then they got in and then the parent, your parents would get them and, and manipulate them and like, so was, did they know school, what you were yeah. doing? Okay. Like high school boyfriends, they would pull my boyfriend aside without me even knowing and say, Hey, just so you know, she's really struggling and she's got this abuse in her past. So if she ever starts acting weird or saying things, then you need to come to us right away so that we can help her. And you tell that to a 17 year old kid, like, okay, yeah, I will. You want to help your kid. I get it. I will tell you if, if she says anything or does anything. So they just had eyes and ears everywhere that I didn't even know. And I didn't know they had done that until years later when they, when I kind of started sharing my story and they, you know, I had one in particular that reached out and he's like, gosh, stuff makes so much more sense now as to what had happened, you know, that I just thought was kind of weird, but whatever, you know, so. Well, plus that puts an unfair stigma on you, especially at such a young age to where a young boy would be like, oh, I don't want to get involved in that, you know, drama, whatever. And so you probably would lose more boyfriends because of your parents that, you know, they probably really yeah. did like you for who you really were. But the, yeah. like you said, your parents manipulate them and scare them off. Yeah, that's very likely. Yeah. When you say your parents are very rich and powerful, we hear like me on my side of the world, 
I see on the news and I have speculations about these celebrities and politicians that go to these private islands and stuff like, like that. Is that really happening? Is that what it is? Like, is it big, big money? Like people that, you know, politicians, celebrities, like, I know you can't say any names or anything, but anything ring a bell? Like, is this really happening? I believe it's really happening. I think the world is starting to be more open to believing it because of the things that have kind of come out in the last year or two. But I definitely think it's very likely that it's happening and is starting to kind of just unravel a little bit. If we just find the right strings to pull on, you know, I think there could be a lot of women and girls and boys just saved and protected, but it is a process, but I do believe that a lot of it is, is happening. There's always going to be stuff that's not. And that's, you know, people think this happens because of the movies, you know, what we see in the movies, that's what they picture trafficking is, is somebody just getting like taken, but usually that's not the case. Usually it's, it's people that they know and, and things like that. So I do think it is big. Did you ever have what we would say normal relationship with your parents that you would, you know, rest your head on daddy's shoulder or give mom a hug at night or, you know, go to a family dinner and and laugh and play normal without having this business hang over your head. Did you have those moments or was it always business? For sure. No, for sure. I did. And I think that's part of the confusion and crazy making growing up is because I did, I had those moments. My mom used to say I was her best friend and, you know, my dad would, you know, I would, I would go just put my head on his shoulder and felt safe at times with him, you know, so we'd go on family trips or they'd come cheer me on at my, I I played soccer and they'd come cheer me on at the games and unbelievable. And it felt real, but now I don't know what was real and what was not, but it felt real then. Do you think your parents know that it's wrong or do you think whatever happened to them in their past or whatever that they think like, no, this is, this is normal. This is good. It's my kid. It's my, I can do whatever I want. Like, how do you think they think? Gosh, that's a million dollar question. I, I hope that they think it's right because if they know it's wrong and they're doing it, then that is, um, to me, I think harder to swallow than for me to believe. Well, maybe they did think that this was what they were called to do. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how somebody could believe that, but but I also don't like feeling like I wasn't enough to stop it. You know, if they knew it was wrong. Tell me something good about your parents. What were they good at? What did they do right? Uh, um, they were good singers. They could sing. My mom would stay up late scrubbing the floor in the kitchen to have it clean. My dad worked hard at his job. Right. I don't know. I just felt like I should ask that. I don't know why. I was curious. I haven't asked. I've never been asked that before in my life. I don't think so. I know it's weird why I asked that yeah. question. I would have to I ponder did. that one for sure. Right. So at, at at what point did you think? I guess did you ever come across a teacher or an aunt or an uncle and feel like I got to get this off my chest? This is not right. I don't feel like it's right. Like when was, did you ever have that? Um, so my first safe place I ever felt safe was in school was my fifth grade teacher. And I didn't know that I wanted to share with her, um, anything because I still didn't know that anything was so wrong, but I do remember the first day of class. It was the first time I remember feeling safe. And I was like, I don't know. I've later learned it was feeling safe at the time. I was like, I don't know why I love being around her and being near her, but something just feels calm and, and, you know, right. And so I've, I've later put together that that was the first place I really felt safe, but I've had a few people like that in my life. And I think that's where, you know, you talk about God and you talk about how I'm not angry with him and not believe in him and how could he do this and, and things like that. And I think he knew I would probably feel that way. So he sent me other people. Like he sent me that teacher and he sent me this, this lady named Rosie that, gosh, I just, she passed away a few years ago with cancer, but he sent me those people to feel his love and to feel seen and to feel cared about. So I wouldn't 
feel it directly from him initially because I didn't, it was scary and it was, um, I did feel that way of how could you let this happen to me? But he sent me other people to make me feel safe and to make me feel loved. And I had, I had a college professor. It was the first time I really shared a little piece of what was going on. Well, not the first time, but the bigger piece um, of what was going on. And she would walk me from her classroom to, to my next class. Cause I just didn't feel safe, you know, up at school. So there were, there were times and little people here and there that really, stepped up and, and gave me a safe place. How did they step up? Because as an outsider listening to you, if I was your teacher and you told me that I can't imagine not picking you up, holding you crying for a really long time and saying, I'm going to help you get out. How come that never happened? Because it's a scary thing. And most people growing up knew my parents and uh, they are very good at what they do. Very good at what they do. My mom was come in and help in the classroom, you know? Um, so I think they, they wouldn't want to get involved. And unfortunately there's a lot of people that don't want to get involved. And I've, I've lost friendships because I'm just, it's too much. And I've had lots of therapists be like, um, I can't help you. That's like way too much past, you know, my training, but, um, <clears throat> I don't know because I am, I am a very similar way. I, I need to feel loved. I needed somebody. I still need somebody to come in and scoop me up and give me this, this healing hug. And that's happened a few times in my life, but that's what I miss and need the most still is feeling like somebody other than my husband, sorry, can unconditionally love me for no reason but then just to love me because I, I long for a mom that would do that. I longed for somebody to come help me with my kids when I had new babies or um, be proud of my son for, you know, doing well in school or doing well at sports or my daughter for dancing or whatever it is that they decide to do with their lives. And I won't have that. I will never have that. And that is what hurts the most still to this day is knowing that. I will never have somebody love me like my mom should have. I really do believe like the way God brought those people across your paths. I believe that he's going to bring those people across your paths. Me personally, I lost my mom who was my biggest source of encouragement my entire life. I lost her in 04 to cancer and I prayed for a long time. What died with her, was that what you're talking about? And I said, I'll never feel that again. And in the last year, God has brought, you can't talk about stuff and not cry. I know you can't. God brought these parents, these, these people across my path that live in South Georgia that I feel that for the first time. I haven't felt it in whatever, 14, 15 years. Mm. And I'm 42 and it happened and it's here. So I really, really do believe that God, We'll bring that across your path. And hey, I will start. I'll keep looking for it then. <laughs> and I, I mean, you cannot, you can't not listen to you and not fall in love with you in the per, <laughs> in the heart that you are. Like you just, you can't. I feel like I, I can't believe a that you're on this show because it's such a blessing, and b that you're not on every major news outlet yet because I believe that's about to happen for you. I really do. Like. I believe Elizabeth Frazier, if you want it to be, is going to be a household name very, very quickly in the next 24 months, if you wanted it to be. Thank you. I, I am getting ready for that. I, I feel like there's a time when God's in charge of the timing and things have happened as they're supposed to. But And luckily, God blessed me with a forgiving heart um, because I don't know that I could do what I feel like I need to do if I didn't have that. But, you know, I think... I'm hoping that if that happens and when that happens, that I'm just helping people. That's all I want to do. I just want people that hurt to know that they, it won't last forever, no matter what the hurt is. Cause we all go through hurt and we all go through hard things and don't compare your hurt to my hurt. Just know that I see you and I know how hard it can feel and that you can still have a beautiful life 
and it's okay. It hurts and let it hurt. Don't push it away, but it will be okay. Can people talk to you? Can my listeners talk to you? Can like, are you still available for friends? <laughs> like, can people reach out to you and talk to you? I mean, I follow you on Instagram on hero brand uh, on hero bands, but like, do you help people? Do you coach people? Is that not something that you even want to do or? Um, you know, I haven't actually even thought of doing that. I would love to do that. I, I do message people a lot on social media. So if you, if you want to reach out to me there, I, I am good about responding and, and hopefully you feel seen and, and loved by me by doing that. Um, cause that's, that really is my, my goal is keeping kids safe and keeping adults safe and helping them feel seen and loved. And that's where they can find you at, at hero bands. Yeah, it's hero underscore bands on Instagram. And then my website is herobands.com and, and they can read some more of my story there and, and see kind of what I'm up to with, with my work. So you want to do more of this? You want your story to get out? You want to talk? Like, would you go on The View? Would you go on The Ellen Show? Like, would you do that stuff? Um. Yeah, I would. I definitely would. I think somebody I would love to meet well, I've met her once, um, but only for like a split second. But one of my heroes is um, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> really? Her music and her lyrics got me through and kept me alive for a lot of my teenage years. And still her music speaks to me. And I feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm not a big, I don't fangirl over, over people, over celebrities, over over much but she's somebody that i feel like has touched my life in a way that i would love to thank her for um ellen's amazing i mean anything that would be willing to have me on and let me share my voice so that other voices can be heard i would be honored to because sharing my voice gives a voice to people that aren't ready to share theirs yet you know isn't it funny how god works eli kelly won american idol season one i was a finalist american idol season three i know her producers very well i'm going to send this to them so the one thing you know I def- producers very well oh, they're wow. my friends so oh no, that's I, right you did american idol how oh my gosh i didn't even put that dot together until right this second this will definitely get in front of kelly and <laughs> let the lord work the way he will but like i said i think in the next 24 months Elizabeth well, they better, be they better not be ready for me to not football tackle her with the biggest <laughs> hug ever. So COVID might need to settle down because I'm not going to be able to contain myself. Well, as you know, <laughs> she is one of the kindest people on the planet and she is real. So yeah. I can't imagine her not equally tackling you at the same time. This well. is going to be a good match made in heaven. Let's. I wanted to go there before we let you go. Yeah. I want to talk about God because at a very young age, Jesus became my hero. He healed me of an incurable disease. I was supposed to die. He saved me. It was very easy for me. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, I've spoken with people that didn't have that experience and that's been very tough for them, but yet they still follow the same God I do. And I always like to ask how, how can you, believe in a God? How can you trust in a God when you've been through every sense of the word hell throughout your life? How did you find God? And a lot of times they do that under the blanket of religion and under the blanket of God. So you can't really have a relationship with someone that you can't really trust. Right? So I, I'm super curious about that. Like, how does that happen for you? How do you have a relationship with God? Well, he sent me angels. He sent me my fifth grade teacher. He sent me Rosie. He sent me my husband and he sent me Kelly Clarkson. I know it sounds so crazy, but he sent me little, little reminders that he was there and that he, he saw me. And I slowly learned that I needed to trust him and trust his love or I wasn't going to make it. I, I had to, I had to see his hand in it so that I can help and reach more people. If I'm not giving him the credit, then I don't feel like I'm living my 
true self, my true authentic self. And it took years. I didn't, I didn't see his hand in any of it for years and years and years, but now I can't not see it. I, I can't not see it. Did you grow up as all this stuff was happening? Did you go to church on Sundays? Every week, every week. Yeah. How do you, I I don't even know how to ask this. How do you go to church? How do you trust God? How do you believe what you're going to every Sunday when on Friday night it happened and Saturday night it happened and then you go to church on Sunday and you know the same same thing's going to happen next week? How do you develop a relationship with God? How do you trust that? Well, I didn't for a long time, first of all. And I had to find God in my own way. And I don't follow it in maybe as structured as a way as I grew up. But I also, growing up, didn't understand how wrong it was, like I said. And I don't think I, I saw the contrast because I did feel like it was so normal. You know, I really did. And for so many years. So I, I didn't have that big contrast until I was older and really wondered and thought. So I think it was easier for me as a child because I didn't realize how bad it was that I was doing. Was what go, was going on with you, was that tied into religion as well? Or was it strictly business? Like, did the, the church know about it as well? Like, cause your parents were very good manipulators of people. Mm-hmm. Was that all tied um, together? I don't think the church knew about it. Um, I think they, they did some things. I don't like the way they handle certain things when stuff, stuff started coming up and things like that. But do I think that they were in on it? No, I don't think they were in on it. They would just kind of, when things started coming out, they would push it under the rug because of who your parents were probably. Yeah. Yeah. So the end result, the upshot here, we, here we are now tell us about your beautiful. Are you comfortable talking about your family? Like, your husband, your kids, tell us everything where you're at right now. Because I mean, like I said, you are a walking miracle and you're living life and you're doing it. You're winning. Winning. We, we live in California now. I love it. I feel like I need the sunshine um, and the beach. It just feels so healing to me. My husband is a, a marriage coach. Um, he went to medical school. He's also working as a as a psychiatrist for dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that in, in a few hospitals. And he just has the best heart, but we went through a lot together. So he actually does a really great job at marriage coaching and, and that's his passion. And he's, he's incredible with that. I've got five kids, which is crazy. It's a lot of kids and they're all just so different. My oldest is 14 and my youngest just turned four. So I have one girl right in the middle and, and she and I, Make sure we do lots of fun things together because I am not having any more kids. I am very <laughs> done. So she will not get that sister that she desperately wants, but but she's my she's my buddy. Do you get nervous about your kids hearing your story? Because I had my wife on the podcast. My wife hates to talk about her old, you know, story. And she definitely has a past before her and I met. Um are you afraid that your kids are gonna listen and hear this for any reason, or are you not afraid? Um we're pretty open about things that have happened as they're old enough to really comprehend and grasp it. So I know when they listen to it, there's going to be things that surprise them. Cause when I started speaking out, my husband even was surprised by some things that I just kind of assumed he knew, but we hadn't really talked about. So yeah, I have a piece of me that's nervous for sure, but I also want them to be protected and the more knowledge they have, the better protected I think they can be. So So when it's time, they'll listen, I'm sure. If your parents ever listen to this, what would one thing, what what would you say to them? Like for real? Gosh, that's another thing I've never been asked. You're asking a lot of questions, Matt, that I haven't been asked. Is that okay? Yeah. No, it's it's just an interesting, it's interesting because so many people have such a different take on what to ask and where to go. And I think every... Every interview is a little bit different. So here's, here's why it's because I know that God's real. I know that he, I'm sorry if you believe differently, but then I won't say, I know I believe, I believe God's real. 
I believe he has an incredible destiny for you, and I believe that there's over 7.5 billion people on the planet, and none of them have your fingerprints. You were destined and created by God. We also have free will, and we screw that up a lot. I think your parents screwed that up, and I think that that was not the childhood that God designed, but he had such a calling on your life that through the depression, through the attempted suicide, through the abuse, he still kept calling you out and raising you up and he brought you through hell. And the latter part of your life is going to help so many people. And I believe you're going to be blessed beyond measure. Flip side of that is I believe your parents are absolutely not happy. Let's just say, and they probably have some regrets. And I think that God's calling them too. I mean, he died for them just as much as he died for you and me. And if they ever got the chance to listen, I would want them to hear the truth. I would want them to hear what you really have to say. And I would want them to listen. So if they were listening and they actually heard you, what would you say? Well, I confronted them about eight years ago, but I didn't really let them talk much. Um, or they didn't want to talk. They didn't want to say anything. And so I think I would probably ask why. And when I saw them eight years ago, I, I told them I forgave them. I, I told them that I needed to move forward with my life and I couldn't because I was holding on to it. So it felt selfish of me to forgive them, but I could genuinely look them in the eyes and tell them I forgive them but still want to know why and still not trust them in my life or in my children's life. You know, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't, you know, saying what they did was okay and welcome back in my life. It's saying, I'm, I'm going to let go of this because it's not serving me, you know? So I think I would, I would ask why. And I would, I would almost honestly want them to see how beautiful my life is because it's, better than I could have ever imagined. And I did imagine as a kid, I imagined what my life would be like. And I imagined this great life and it is better than that. So I would want them to see that and see that they didn't win. They didn't break me. I'm broken, but it's a beautiful thing. And I am strong, you know? Amen. So you are unbelievable. You are a hero in every sense of the word. Tell us about hero bands. How did that start? And what is it? Cause I see you take a lot of pictures with Elizabeth Smart as well, who, you know, a lot of people know her story, unbelievable. How did Hero yeah. Band start and, and what are you doing with that? So it started because I would wear, so it's a bracelet company um, and I would wear these bracelets. I met this lady at a, at a craft fair and, and she had these bracelets that had words on them like empowering words. And I, I didn't know what it would feel like to feel those words like strong or peace or things like that. So I bought a couple and started wearing them. And as I was continuing healing, which I still am, I would wear these words and realize they were starting to give me a lot of strength. And I felt peace and I felt calm and things like that. So I, I kept wearing them and bought more and more. And my, my husband was like, okay, you're out of control. And so for <laughs> Valentine's Day, he bought me my own tools to kind of start making some for myself um, that were a little different. And I started giving them away to people that I would meet people that would share pieces of their life with me. And I, I would get calls from them or, or texts saying how much it had helped them with what they were struggling with. Cause I would just look down and happen to be wearing what I felt like they needed. So it started helping them. And I thought, you know what, I know I'm supposed to share a piece of my story so that I can help others. Maybe this is how I'm going to do it. So mm -hmm. I just started this company called hero bands named after the heroes that were there that didn't even know they were my heroes. And I donate percentage of every sale or every item to uh, different charities that are fighting trafficking and just speaking out using my voice and trying to, to help others that, that have heavy hearts. And so hero bands is, is a way I can do that. So people know they can feel strong even if they don't right now and they can feel loved and they can feel all the things they want. You are a hero in every sense of the word. We always have our guests give like a quote or a tip or an experience for our listeners, especially someone who's been through what you have been through and overcome. What would you say to the listeners on how they can level up or how they can overcome if they're in a situation, maybe even similar to yours, 
how do they get through that and how do they not give up? What would you say? Um, I would say look for the people, look for your heroes because they're there. You just have to look for them and see them. And if you don't feel like you have any, then it's okay for a time to be your own hero. You know, my, my kind of tagline is be someone's hero, be your own hero. And I feel like it's important to realize, you know, sometimes we feel like we need to be our own hero and that's okay. But also give credit to those people in your life that want to be there for you and want to see you and want to cheer for you. Don't, don't put them to the side, let them help you, let them love you. Amen. And people can find you at hero underscore bands on Instagram. And also is it herobands.com? Yep. Yep. Herobands.com. Elizabeth Frazier. Oh my gosh. You are such a breath of fresh air. Eli, Thank you, Matt. do you love her as much as I do? Dude, that was powerful. That was so powerful. You are unbelievable. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to our listeners who continue to come every week. Please reach out to Elizabeth. Unbelievable. If this episode can help somebody, please like it, subscribe, and share. Share this with somebody. This this is powerful, man. And uh, I, I love you guys. I love our listeners. And thank you again so much, Elizabeth, for coming on. Thank you. This has been another week of Level Up. Thank you.